This morning we turn our attention to a challenging passage in Matthew chapter 19. It's sobering. And yet at the same time when I was studying it this week, I found it to be surprisingly encouraging. And that's my hope for our time together today, that as we sit before the word, as we fellowship around the word of God today, that we would walk away encouraged. More than that, we would be thrilled by what Jesus is teaching us in Matthew 19, even if it may be hard to hear at first. In our passage, we happen upon some interesting encounters and conversations through which Jesus continues to teach us about the nature of his kingdom and who rightly belongs in his kingdom. And of course, this is of great interest to anyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God, which we do. Jesus continues to make the point that the the truly great in his kingdom, the people who actually belong in his kingdom are different than we might expect. The people who truly are citizens of the kingdom are surprising as we first learned in the Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember how Jesus described those who are fit for the kingdom of God? It is those who are poor in spirit, those who are mourning, those who are meek, those who are hungry and thirsty or merciful or pure in heart, those who are peacemakers and even those who are persecuted. Those people have something in common that Jesus wants us to recognize to, to help us see again who rightly belongs in his kingdom. It is the pure in heart. It is those with the right heart who are fit for the kingdom of God. Matthew will use the word today, wholehearted. The wholehearted are accepted by Jesus into his kingdom, meaning that you are undivided in your love for God. You're undivided in your devotion to the things of God. Now notice this is not a new declaration. This has been the standard the whole time. God has always been more concerned with our hearts, even more than our actions. Do you remember Hosea 6.6? For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Here's the problem. Here's the dilemma that Scripture puts forward there. God is concerned with our hearts, but our hearts are wicked. And there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to change our hearts or or make them wholehearted, undivided in devotion to the things of God. But what Jesus is going to show us today is that while this teaching is not a new declaration, through the work of Christ, there is a new provision for our hearts. What has been impossible with man is now possible with God through Christ. You can have a new heart. In Jesus, you can be wholehearted and fit, belong in the kingdom of God. Here's our main point this morning that I hope will cause all of us to rejoice in that way. In order to belong in God's kingdom, our hearts must be freed from ungodly affection and idolatry through the work of Christ. Let me state it a different way to make sure we are grasping the riches of Jesus' teaching today. Only through the work of Christ can our hearts be freed from the idolatry of this world and set upon the glory of God. And that is what makes us fit for the kingdom of God. Now to prove this point that Jesus has been making since the Sermon on the Mount, 
throughout Matthew's gospel, Matthew allows us to overhear or to see two different encounters in the course of Jesus' ministry that almost serve as a case study. There's an encounter that Jesus has with some children and their families, followed directly by an encounter that he has with a wealthy and powerful young man. And through these encounters, we will be surprised to see who Jesus receives and blesses in his kingdom. A realization that will be made all the more clear in a conversation that follows these two encounters with his disciples. Let's consider for a moment the two encounters that I just mentioned. Firstly, the encounter that Jesus has with some children and their families. This is in verses 13 through 15 of Matthew 19. And Matthew begins this section with a a startling declaration. Jesus has just finished teaching about divorce. You may remember we covered that section of Matthew earlier when we were walking through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five. And after he finishes this important teaching on divorce, some children are brought to him. And the hope is that Jesus would bless these children, that he would pray over them, lay hands on them. But the disciples get in the way of these families, rebuking the parents, thinking that Jesus doesn't have time for these kids. That it's almost beneath Jesus to do what these parents are asking. But consider how Jesus responds. In verses 14 and 15, Jesus said to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them. He blessed them and then went away. Jesus says to his disciples, no, I will receive these children because they represent the very people to whom this kingdom that I'm building belongs. Now, we've already touched on why this is a surprising development in the teaching of Jesus, but let me just remind us. Children have nothing on on the face of it to offer a king. They have nothing to offer Jesus or his kingdom. They are weak. They are dependent. They are naive. They lack knowledge. Yet Jesus chooses, in his divine wisdom, to receive them. More than that, he blesses them because they reveal what we must become in order to receive the grace of God, the grace that allows us to be wholehearted. We must come to Jesus in dependence. We must come to him in our weakness with a statement, a declaration of that weakness, knowing that salvation is only found in him. Let's compare that to the second encounter, immediately following this first one with the children, the encounter that Jesus has with a rich young man in verses 16 to 22. Now, Luke tells us that this rich young man is also a ruler in Luke chapter 18. This man has power and money. And notice as he comes to Jesus, there's not a single disciple that gets in his way. No rebuking him. And let's read what happens as Jesus and the young man talk. Verses 16 to 22. Behold, A man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, well, which ones? 
And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I've kept, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. The young man comes to Jesus. He's the kind of person you would think would be welcomed in the kingdom because he has much to offer. And yet with all that he has, there is an unease in him, a spiritual unease, a feeling that he must do more to be fit for the kingdom of God. And so he comes to Jesus, this, this new teacher on the scene who has clear favor from God, and he asks him for help. Jesus, I, I feel like I need to do more in order to receive eternal life. So, so what good thing must I do in order for God to see me as good? That's the nature of the question that he asks in verse 16. And isn't this the basic question of humanity? Isn't this the way that we approach our standing before God, before we are surprised by the gospel? We know that we must be good. We, we know that we must be more good than we are, and yet we are unsure of how to get there on our own. Well, Jesus immediately challenges this understanding of what it takes to please God. And verse 17, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. There's only one who is good. Only one who is truly good. Obviously, the rich young man recognizes something unique about Jesus, but he has not yet recognized an important truth about himself. That at his core, he is not good. And he cannot become good in the way that only God is without help. God alone is good in this way. So Jesus, being the master teacher that he is, begins to help this man see his condition, the condition that he has not yet seen. If you want eternal life, you must keep the commandments. You must be declared perfect according to the holy and righteous standard of God's law. So the man responds, okay, well, which ones do I need to focus on? Which ones in particular do I need to work on to make sure that I'm good enough? Jesus lists a a number of the moral ethical requirements of the law in verses 18 to 19 that have to do specifically with loving others. And, and the man responds, well, I've done these. I've kept all these. And yet he knows that even that is not enough. It seems like he's disappointed with Jesus because Jesus is just telling him at this point what everyone else has taught him about moving into, stepping into the favor of God. But then Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. He comes in close, okay? You've kept these that I've mentioned. You've shown at least in part an outward commitment to the things of God. But I want you to consider why you've done these. What has driven them or driven you to do them? What's going on in your heart? If you want to be perfect, if you want to be wholehearted, completely devoted to the things of God, here's what you need to do. You need to go and sell everything that you own and give it to the poor. 
And then once you've gone and sold, you need to come and follow me. Jesus ushers a call to this man, the same call that is before all of us this morning, to forsake and follow. Forsake the empty promises of this world. Forsake the the brokenness of this world. And you come and follow me. You come and devote yourself to my kingdom. And look at the response of this man. It's one of the most tragic verses in all of scripture in verse 22. He goes away sorrowful because it was too much for him to give up. Jesus knows the man's heart and he asks this rich young man to give up the things that he loves the most and he cannot give it up. Despite all of the religious activity, despite all of the faithfulness that he's exhibited on the outside of the commands of God, his heart does not belong, not fully to the Lord. It is possessed by all that he possesses. And while the children walk away blessed, the rich and powerful young man walks away sorrowful, a sorrow that will last for all of eternity. Now the point of these two encounters, if it has not become already clear to you, is made abundantly clear in the follow-up conversation that Jesus has in verses 23 to 30 with his disciples. Let's go there. Jesus says to them, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, as would anybody reading this passage, saying, well, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, see, we've left everything and we've followed you, so so what will we have? Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit the greatest gift of all, eternal life. But many who are first will be last. And the last, first. Jesus wants his disciples to know who actually belongs in the kingdom. Who actually has favor with God. And it's not who you would expect. You'd expect it to be the rich and the powerful. That was the prevailing thought of the day. If you had a lot of money, if you had a lot of influence, if you were materially blessed, it was because you had favor with God. It was evidence that that you were accepted. And so when Jesus says it's hard for people with material wealth to get into the kingdom, it would be like the largest animal around us, a camel, trying to go through the smallest hole imaginable, the eye of a needle. That's how hard it is for the materially blessed to get into the kingdom of God because they have a lot. And it's hard to forsake all that they have and be wholehearted. So Peter has the response that many would have in that day. Well, if not then, then who? If they're not blessed, if he's not fit for the kingdom, then who on earth 
is fit for the kingdom. And Jesus answers, the one who forsakes, the one who follows, the one who is wholehearted. And let me be clear today, Bayleaf Baptist Church, this is not something you can do on your own. You cannot achieve this kind of transformed heart in your own strength. You cannot be good enough. You cannot be devoted enough apart from the work of Christ. It is impossible in our own strength to root out all of the idolatry, all of the competing affections that exist in the brokenness of this world. We need something supernatural to help ourselves set our affections fully on God. This must be a work of God. He is the only one who can give us new and transformed hearts. We must be overwhelmed by the gospel, overwhelmed by the glorious work of Christ. And you know this if you've ever struggled like the rich young man. Listen, if you're here this morning and you identify with that rich young man, don't you feel, don't you feel the tension and the struggle? Isn't that there's this lingering feeling in your heart that all that you're doing is not enough? That there's always something else that you must do to be considered good? And that even if you fail, you're not even sure how, how much you have to do to compensate for that failure? How much more good do you have to do to undo the, the not good thing that you did? Does it eradicate your status before God? How long will it take to earn it back? What a terrible, terrible way to live. What a terrible state to be in, always looking for a way to prove your goodness to God, knowing that it will never be enough. Don't you know that's the burden of nearly every other religion on the face of the planet? But I hope this morning that you will be encouraged by the unique promise of Christianity. That what you cannot be on your own, you can be in Christ. That what you are not, Christ is. Listen, you can know for certain where you stand before a holy and righteous God if you are in the Son. If you are in Jesus, the favor that he shows to the Son, he will show to you. He alone has the power to make you fit for the kingdom of God, bringing you into the goodness of Christ. Friends, when we come to God in childlike faith, when we recognize our need, as we declare our dependence upon God, God is ready and willing to transform us through the work of Christ to make us new, to give us new hearts, to allow us to be wholehearted, perfect as he is perfect. And this is good news. Good news, we should never get over, church family. And listen, when you give yourself to God in this way, you will get far more than this world could ever offer you. What you forsake, you will receive many times more. That's what Christ shows us in verses 28 to 30. Listen to some of these incredible blessings that await the faithful. You get to sit beside Jesus for all of eternity and a new heaven, and a new earth, ruling and reigning alongside him. And the riches that he has to offer are far greater than what we would have given up here. Eternal blessing, eternal reward, eternal wealth in Christ. That's what awaits all of those who are in 
him. What a challenge and a promise for us today. This is a call, church family, to not rely on ourselves, but rather the glorious work of Christ to believe that what he offers is better than what is offered here in this world. This morning, let us make our boast only in Christ. Not in ourselves. Let's not rely on ourselves to only do what Jesus can do. Let's rest in him. As we walk in faithfulness, let's long for what he alone offers. How can we respond this morning to this challenging, but I hope surprisingly encouraging text? Let me first address those in the room who would say they're not sure if they're a follower of Christ. Or maybe you know that you're not a follower of Christ. The clear response today, the clear calling from Jesus is to forsake and follow. Will you allow today the Lord to make you wholehearted in Jesus, a true kingdom citizen? Friends, Christ has been teaching us throughout the scripture, throughout the book of Matthew, that we need to be different, that true citizens look different. We are called to treasure things in heaven more than things on earth. Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21. We are called to be a generous people. Matthew 6, verses 22 and 23. We are called to embrace the upside down reality of things in Matthew 5, 2 through 12. We are called to see, seek true perfection in Matthew 5, 48. We are warned and called to choose between God and money, heaven and earth, a choice that all of us will have to make. Let me ask you this morning. Is that characterization true of your heart? Have you, have you treasured things in heaven more than things on earth? Have you become generous in Christ? Have you recognized that the last will be first and the first will be last in the kingdom of God, that we have all been called to serve as Jesus came to serve? Have you sought true perfection in Jesus alone? And are you committing yourself to resting in God more than money or power? Setting your heart on heavenly things. Let us stop trying to do what we cannot do in our own strength. You can never do enough good to make yourself good. There's only one who is good. But the promise of the gospel is that we through repentance and belief, can step into the goodness of Christ. And that, that is what makes you belong in the kingdom. Will you make that decision today? For those of us who are in Christ, let me give you two additional ways to respond this morning. Firstly, ask the Spirit to search your heart. For the believer, this is a good practice to make sure that we don't return to our folly. Is there anything in your heart that you love, even if it's just for a moment, more than God? Because if you do, if you love something more than God, that is your God. Just like this rich young man who was possessed by his possessions. 
We want to strive to make sure as we live in a broken and fallen world that our affections are not compromised, but rather fully set on Jesus. Is that true of you? It's an important question to ask as we prepare our hearts for the table. And let me specifically address what this text addresses, which is the power of money. Remember, there are rich people who follow Jesus faithfully. Joseph of Arimathea, Zacchaeus are two examples. Let us also consider the warning of Scripture that the love of money often eclipses our love for God. And we must be on guard against that, especially in the United States. We are among the wealthiest people in the history of the world. And if we're not careful, our comfort here will make us think we belong here. Let us make sure that our hearts are set on Jesus. Let me challenge you even today. Let generosity, the giving away of material things, be your worshipful declaration that God is everything that you need. May we as a church be the most generous church in our area because we don't hold on to things that we know are fading away. We hold on to Christ. That finally, let's set our hope on the kingdom that has come and is coming. The way that we keep our hearts on the Christ and the way that we, in the power of the Spirit, protect our hearts from the things of this world is to remember the future, to remember what is coming. I think it's really interesting that Jesus did not rebuke Peter in verse 27. It seems like a very Peter-ish question. Who on earth can be saved? Well, those who forsaken follow. Oh, good. Well, we've forsaken. We've followed. So what do we get? Oh, Peter. But notice that Jesus doesn't rebuke him in that moment. He teaches him. He offers us a glimpse, again, of what awaits the faithful. Are these riches, are these gifts, are these promises enough to keep your heart set on Christ? I hope so. Do you believe that what Jesus offers is better than what this world offers? That will be the constant struggle of our lives, friends. Let's declare that Christ is enough and that he alone is enough. And let's live lives that look like it for the glory of God. Amen? And let's begin that declaration now as we partake of the supper. I can't think of a better thing for us to do in in following the challenge of this passage than to come to the table, a table that reminds us that we are not of this world, that we are not for this world. As Pastor Patrick said, a table that reminds us of a greater feast that is to come. Church family, let's this morning be reminded of the fact that it's the body and blood of Christ broken for us, shed for us, that covers us and makes us fit for the kingdom of God. That's what we are declaring today, that in Jesus alone, we have found salvation and satisfaction. Now, for those of you in the room who I talked to earlier who would say you're unsure about your relationship with Jesus or you, you know that you're not a follower of Christ, 
this moment, this supper is for those who are in Christ. And so we would ask you to not partake today, but rather watch and witness the collective testimony of all here who are in Jesus, who have said that we have seen what only God can show us, that Jesus is the Son, the pure Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and we're giving our life to him. And pray that the Lord would use that witness, that physical display of the gospel, to draw to draw you to himself. As we sang earlier, that he would use it like waves to push you to the shore of Christ. And he will do that. After our service, we'll have time for you to, to meet with someone and pray with someone if the Lord is leading you in that direction. But for those of us who are in Jesus, let's remember the power of our witness and make sure that we are declaring something that's truthful. And so we wanna spend some time in prayer considering whether or not we are, we are wholehearted and our commitment to Christ, that we are wholehearted in our declaration through the supper. So wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Is there anything impure, idolatrous in your heart that is threatening your relationship with God and your declaration of his ultimate goodness? If so, would you confess it right now? Would you give it to the Lord, knowing that if you confess it, he will cover it, forgive it, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from unrighteousness. Because you want your testimony to be truthful here. And if there's something that you need to resolve that can't be resolved in this moment, a relationship, a public sin that needs to be confessed, then abstain. Don't partake because you value the testimony of this moment so much. Father, would you help us take the supper in a way that is honoring and pleasing to you? And would you use it and the life of those who aren't yet followers of Jesus in the room to to save? And then the life of the believers who are in the room to convict and also to move us to worship as we consider all that Christ has done and all that he will do. We give this time to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website, bayleaf.org.